everybody, welcome back. Craig Schaup here with George Thomas, our film critic from the Akron Beacon Journal. George, it's been a while, but there's reasons for that. It's uh, the dead period of movies, uh, January into early February, but we finally have something to talk about with a little bit of substance here. Ant-Man and the Wasp, Quantumanium. This is the kickoff of Phase 5 of the MCU. Is, it, is that correct? That is correct. It feels All weird right. to be talking about an actual movie. <laughs> well, I don't know if we should call it cinema, though. Martin Scorsese might uh, differ on that. But, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoyed the first Ant-Man. I thought it was a pleasant surprise amid all the, you know, dark tone, even though I wouldn't necessarily call the Marvel Cinematic Universe ultra dark. But, you know, the whole taking over the world, killing half the world kind of deal um, you know, it was, a, it was a refreshing surprise. Ant-Man was funny, didn't take itself too seriously. So now we're, what, three films into the Ant-Man franchise. Not sure if it's going to be something that, pro, you know, progresses here or if Ant-Man just kind of sticks in the Avengers and does his thing when they need him. But what did you think of uh, Quantumanium? Yeah, Ant-Man's a bit more serious now. Okay. <laughs> it, it's following the formula. And let's be honest, if we're being uh, honest, there is an, an MCU formula now. Yeah. And you now they they use a, a a familiar character to get into phase five so you don't get bored. Because if it were a completely new character, they they might lose some of their audience. And Paul Rudd has built up enough goodwill in the role to where I think and, and he's a great actor. To where I think he, he he can carry the film. The thing is, what is there around him? And the thing is, you know, if we're being honest, this is basically nothing more than a way to introduce the actual Kang the Conqueror, right? In Phase Five, Phase right. Five. Now they go back to the quantum world where 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 Janet Van Dyne was. Michelle Pfeiffer's character for 30 years, and we <clears throat> promptly learn that the uh, quantum world was a lot more than anybody ever thought. It's it's right. literally another universe with civilizations, along with a bunch of unique-looking creatures. Um, it's also a world where where she met Kang, befriended him, only to learn what kind of individual he actually was. Right. And eventually helped to strand him there. And being the superior egotistic being that he is, he took over the, the, the quantum realm. So, yeah. you know, as well, what else are you going to do? At any rate, um, the Pym family, the Van Dyne, they get sucked back in through into the quantum world through a convoluted convol, convoluted means we're not going to go into. Sure. And they have to do battle with Kang. And it's like, that's <laughs> it. You know, yeah. it's, it's, it's entertainment. And if we're being real here, if we're, did you watch Loki? I don't recall. I watched the first episode, but I really, I, and I, I enjoyed the first episode, but I just never really got back into it. Okay, here you go. With Loki, if you go, and I hate for you to miss everything in, in the middle, but 
looking at Jonathan Majors get his ultimate introduction in Loki, you right. know that you're in for something special with this mm-hmm. character. And if we're being real, he's the reason to see the movie. That character is the reason to see the movie and how that character is introduced. Sure. And what's impressive about it is as good as he was in Loki and the way he portrayed the character there, keep in mind that in, in the world of Loki, it was a time variant. Right. right. Was, this is a different version of Kang. And he plays it completely different and it just blows you away with what he does. Um, and that's, you know, that's it in a nutshell. I think the big takeaway from this movie is, is that Marvel and considering the, what is it? The first three phases where the original Avengers were, were assembled. Yeah. They have to begin to step up their game. Can and they do that? I mean, without I, without those iconic characters that they built, and and not to mention, I mean, I know there's a lot of even one of my favorite people, Quentin Tarantino, is like, hey, you know, these people are movie stars because of the characters are playing. I mean, I would probably disagree a little bit with like a Robert Downey Jr. who kind of rebuilt his credibility as a movie star, and I think you could maybe argue that. You know, yeah, I mean, I I think you could argue against what Tarantino had said. I get why he said what he said, because it's not like the classic, you're Brad Pitt, you're Tom Cruise starring in an action picture. And it just happens to be about whatever it wants to be about it, but it has those guys in it. So I I get it. But, you know, I, I think, you know, Chris Evans and Chris Hemsworth have built up their star, you know, to a large degree because of these movies. So, you know, but can they do that in this new, and I know we don't have the fantastic forecasting just yet, but can they find that same magic of building these new Avengers, these super, you know, great characters that people, you know, remember and know and and love from the comic books to the films? Here's the thing. And my, my mind went to this, thought a couple times while watching Ant-Man. What the hell did they have in mind for Chadwick Boseman Mm -hmm. and Black Panther in this phase? You know what I mean? Because I'm with, with all due respect and I I don't want to disrespect any other actor that is, that has, has started to appear in this phase four. And, but he was the star power, I think. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And, and his star, outside of Black Panther, was still ascending oh, based yeah. on other work he had done. He right. brought he brought that charisma, but he also brought gravitas. Right. And I'm not... In, in the hero realm, I'm not seeing who has that right now. I'm not aware of any casting where that's a possibility. Right. Now, Jonathan Majors has it, but he's a damn villain. So <laughs> what are you going to do? Go, through the, go to the theater through, throughout all these films and root for Kang? Well, some some might, but, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm glad to see that they have at least 
Because I think one thing that maybe DC has failed quite a few times at is creating compelling villains. And I think that Marvel has done the opposite, where they've created compelling villains. I will say, okay, sans the Christopher Nolan Batman franchise, which of course had great villains, but where I'm talking about like the Ben Affleck-led Batman, the Henry Cavill, you know, led Superman projects, um, Aquaman, I couldn't even really tell you who Aquaman's villain was, to be honest with you, and I don't care. The Flash as well, you know, I mean, just stuff like that. And, it, you know, it sounds like they've transitioned pretty well from, you know, Josh Brolin being a, a pretty strong actor. Now, granted, he wasn't, you know, his face wasn't visible but as Thanos. But, you know, Jonathan Major seems to be a great next step and maybe even a better next step as you're actually going to be able to see his face and, and maybe, you know, care a little bit more about him or hate him a little bit more because you can see his face as opposed to Josh Brolin being in motion capture. Um, I think it's entirely possible. Um, uh, you know, they say in, with superhero movies, if you don't have a villain, you don't have a movie. Yeah. I mean, you mentioned the DC yeah. movies. I mean, it that all started with, with the original Batman, Batman 1989, almost the casting of Batman after they got Jack Nicholson was almost an afterthought yeah. until until they they cast Keaton and everybody raised hell. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. It was all about Nicholson and and the villain has always been been the the, the linchpin. General yeah. Zod, Terrence Stamp as yeah. General Zod in Superman 2. Yeah. Um Gene Hackman is Lex Luthor. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I did like Michael Shannon as Zod in the Henry yeah. Cavill. I I did like Michael Shannon as as Zod. Um, you know, so I will I will say that it wasn't you know it was hit and miss, probably a lot more miss than hit. But um, you know, and we'll see how. It's funny though you mentioned the, the Michael Keaton afterthought and the uprising after that you know, fast forward 34 years later and everybody wants to see Michael Keaton back as Batman. And guess what? They're getting him, you know, in June. So um, it's, it's kind of funny how all that works out. A classic American fickleness. Yeah. Oh yeah. A fanboy fickleness, let's call it. Yeah. Well, is it, is it, is it fickleness with, with Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumanium? Is this, is this worth seeing? I mean, obviously there's really nothing, else to to watch i mean magic mike had a really low bow at the box office of course avatar still has a little bit of steam but not much left puss in boots is actually reinvigorated a little bit i mean is ant we know ant-man's going to dominate the box office but is it is it worth dominating the box office you know that's that's a good question i'm not sure if i have an answer if you're if you're an mcu fanboy completist yeah yeah it probably is um if you're not if this isn't one of those films you just, you know, go to to enjoy, mm -hmm. you you this is like collecting every DVD or every every film right. in a in a series. It's 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 like me. I I own every Star Trek film, including the wretched Star Trek Five, because <laughs> I'm a completist that way. Right. So, yeah. You know. Okay. Well, and and 
you know, I know I noticed though you did not give a letter grade on your Akron Beacon Journal review. Is there a uh, a reason why? Is it uh, did it not? I forgot. Ascend? You forgot. <laughs> <laughs> what would be your if you were giving this a letter grade? You know, post give me a B, B B minus. Okay. Okay. Well, that's uh, that means a completest collection for you on Ant Man and the Wasp: Quantumadium. All right. So you'd mentioned your your love of being a completist and Star Trek being one of those. We know it's one of your favorite franchises. And unfortunately, you're probably uh, it's a little bittersweet here because you're you're talking next here about Picard, uh, which was a a big booming success, I think, for Paramount. Uh, I think at the time when it debuted, it was on what CBS all access or whatever it was yeah. called at that time. Uh, Picard, now it's on. I think, yeah. they, I think they'd segue to uh, Paramount plus by then. Okay. So Paramount plus, you know, one of their sort of one of their big key, you know, newer arrivals, Picard, Patrick Stewart's back continuation of next generation and nemesis. It's a, it's a huge what's going on in Picard's life kind of next chapter. I know you've, uh, you've enjoyed the first couple of seasons here. We have season three starting off. Uh, what are your uh, thoughts? How much have you watched of it? And what have your uh, early impressions been? They sent me six episodes of the 10-episode season. Ooh. Six. It's got to be killer right now. You're waiting and waiting and waiting, huh? I, here it is. You know what's weird? I've watched five because I didn't want to. I, I want some, on one of those nights when I've got nothing, nothing to watch and I'm five weeks ahead of everybody else. Yeah. I want to be able to get into something that I'm enjoying so far. I'm enjoying it. Okay. Uh, for those who don't know, most of the next generation crew is back with the exception of the character of data. Um, who's, I don't know if you can call an Android dead or not, but he, he's, he doesn't function any longer. That happened in season one of Picard. Um, but he's, Brent Spiner, who played Data, will be back as his brother, Lore. So there we go. So hail, hail, the gang's all here. <laughs> Am I enjoying it? You know, it's less... You know, I did enjoy the first two seasons of Picard. That's correct. Because I'm not one of these fanboys where I'm going to nitpick everything. Right. It, it, it's just a case of seeing seeing some of these performers back on the screen in, in roles that I appreciated way back when. This is less even, less uneven okay. than the prior two seasons. It's more okay. consistent. That being said, you know, it, there's a lot of fan service, which you've come to expect in a certain regard with with, with this stuff. Um it plays like an homage. I don't, I don't know how familiar you are with the Star Trek movies, but there was Star Trek, the motion picture. And then when they realized, or th when they thought they, they'd screwed it up, I argue that Star Trek, the motion picture is a gorgeous film and it's just now being appreciated, but that's just me and my, my geekdom. But after that first one, they thought I, they'd screwed up the franchise. So they come with this, what's basically a trilogy in Star Trek two through four. Right. And um, the first five episodes I've watched are basically an homage to Star Trek two for about four episodes. I mean, some of it 
will come across as out and out plagiarism. <laughs> I mean, because you will recognize the plot points um, if you're a Star Trek fan. Now, the enjoyment comes in seeing, like, I'll be honest with you, my favorite character is Worf. And I don't know if you know who Worf is. The Klingon. Yeah. First time he popped on the screen, my wife and I are watching the show, and I screamed, Worf! Because <laughs> I was happy to see Michael Dorn in that yeah. role again. And he's dude is 70 years old and he walks on the screen and he's kicking butt. Yeah. So, you know, um, you know, the big problem I had with the, the first two, first two seasons, at times it seemed like Patrick Stewart, how do I say this without sounding offensive? was past his prime. Mm. I think that's fair. And I, it, it's state that, that's a statement that was made on the internet. He seems more into it. He seems invigorated by being back on the screen with his 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 castmates once again. Right. And, you know, there are elements of, of like I said, that, that movie trilogy, the original series, and the villain is borrowed from Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Okay. Now, you've got characters from Next Generation, Seven of Nine, who is from Star Trek Voyager. They kept one new character in Rathi. Um, but I'm interesting, is interested to see whether they incorporate any characters from Deep Space Nine. And then I, I'll really lose it, other than Worf, because Worf was on Next Generation in seasons four through seven of Deep Space Nine. Yeah, I know. It's amazing that I remember crap like that. Right? <laughs> no, no, no. So, you like what you like. I, I, I want to see if they end up in, in Deep Space Nine at any point, and the characters that, if any, come from that series to participate in the, the proceedings. So far, I'm enjoying it. Even knowing, hey, you're, you call it a, an homage, I call it a ripoff. But you know what? Right. It's all in how you, you mix it all together and how it comes out. Right. That's the best way to put it. And okay. so far, it's to my liking. That's the best okay. way to put it. Are you ready for it to be done? I mean, would you prefer them to continue, or do you think it's probably run its course and it's good to end it Picard I I prefer you know I prefer closure with a lot of this stuff I mean yeah. Star Trek Enterprise didn't really get its closure okay. for instance way back when um you know Patrick Stewart says he's ready to be done with the role okay. and that that's cool I yeah. as a fan I I I get my closure um, and that's all you could ever ask for as a fan. I mean, like the, the remade Battlestar Galactica. I don't know if you watched that when it was on sci-fi. Uh, um, spoiler alert, they found Earth on Battlestar Galactica in the remake. <laughs> so there was closure there. I mean, I in this day and age, it's what I prefer. Hey. Well, uh, hopefully you'll 
be able to wait patiently enough to to finish up Picard once everybody else catches up to what you've already screened. Um, in the meantime, I guess you can always uh, get excited for what's to come, and especially uh, as we head into the spring and summer season, there's quite a few mo- movies that are going to be releasing. And I know we'll we'll tease a little bit for next week's show, Cocaine Bear. I'm sure uh, that's going to be an early Oscar contender in, in several categories. So Cocaine Bear, paying a little homage to my home state of Tennessee now. And uh, that'll be a fun little talk next week. But uh, obviously the Super Bowl was uh, was just happened what last week and it was a great game but of course usually that means there's a lot of movie trailers um anything from the latest or the upcoming indiana jones and the dial of destiny there's the strange uh adam driver sci-fi movie 65 where he fights dinosaurs in the uh, 65 million years ago of course the the great series Transformers Rise of the Beasts is going to be coming out. Um, very excited about that. But a couple of uh, trailers might have caught people's attention, and one of which was probably The Flash. I don't know what your thoughts are on that. It was a good trailer, but it was a trailer that I expected. I expected the trailer to look good. And, yeah, it might have tingled the senses a little bit when you see Michael Keaton on screen finally. But, you know... I'm still a little nervous about DC properties that are not being handled by Matt Reeves. I'm sorry. You know, that's fair, but it's like, I think you have very high expectations given, given the, 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 the brouhaha and Broglio, whatever you want to call it with Ezra Miller. Mm-hmm. I, I probably expected a train wreck <laughs> given yeah. Given what, what Warner Brothers has done to DC properties in recent months, you know, I I guess I kind of expected, I guess I kind of did expect what I got. Because the fact that, that with all the controversy surround, surrounding Ezra Miller, that they're still going to release this says a lot. And I'm sorry, did I get a tingle when, when Michael Keaton said, I'm Batman? Yeah. You damn skippy, I did. I really did. And, yeah. and it's like, um, and it, it probably would have been less so, except James Gunn, who is the head of DC Films now, as we all know, right. he's taken his shots in recent weeks. Yes, for, he has. For the way he's organizing stuff. But when you have James Gunn, who, who, who provided the definitive Suicide Squad movie, that is true. Um, saying that it's one of the best superhero movies he's ever seen. That's be- yeah. You wonder if he's doing the hype. Is that hype, is that hype training but, it. Oh, I mean, come on. But I it, that speaks volumes to me. He could be hyping it up. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. But if he is hyping it up, it'll die in its second week. You know what I mean? Right. But you know, and you'd think like he doesn't want to have egg on his face by doing that. But then at the same time, he's, I'm not saying there's a huge backlash that this movie is releasing, but there are a lot of people that are wondering, and it's not just about the Batgirl cancellation because people are like, how can you cancel Batgirl and then allow a movie like this to, to be released when Ezra Miller has been in all this kind of trouble 
and it's kind of been swept under the rug. I mean, it's it's lost a lot of steam as far as how that whole it, all those incidences have kind of come together. And I'm glad that they're getting the help they need. But at the same time, that was canned. And then you proceed to say we're not moving forward with Henry Cavill. We're not moving forward with Gal Gadot. And Ben Affleck's Batman may or may not find its way back into this James Gunn universe. But, it, it, you know, at the end of the day, you've gotten rid of other actors and actresses who, by all accounts, are keeping their, their noses, you know, out of trouble. And why can't you make a great Superman movie with Henry Cavill if you're James Gunn? Now, maybe he has a different vision and it sounds like he does, but he's putting a lot of stock into this movie. And if it doesn't blow away expectations, both with the critics and fans, are people going to say, well, why did you put your, your name on this and back this so much if it wasn't great? For him, this is lower risk, low risk, high reward. He didn't green light it. He didn't pay for it. Yeah, but he's already putting his name on it, saying yeah, that, this, that's... that this character, like it's it's not beyond comprehension that Ezra Miller's Flash is going to be in this universe moving forward. Because he, I don't know if it's been the rumor or if that's what he said, but there's somebody said that this is this is sort of the kickoff to his. DC Universe, they and that said, Miller is probably going to stay there. They have said that now uh, they could they could talk about mental health all they want, and they have said that Ezra Miller. They they will they will talk to him after he continue, after he works through his problems, yeah. which from where I sit is probably more or less a euphemism. We'll talk to him after the box office. Yeah. Which means oh. if the movie, if the movie, look, if if Ezra Miller cleans, the, you know, cleans the act up and and things get sorted out, and I'm not beyond, you know, giving people opportunities, but you know, some of the things that the the accuse the accusations are pretty damning, and it's pretty disturbing, and I, I just wonder that if if the movie's a flop, yeah, they can move on and say, well, people don't want to see Ezra Miller as the Flash clearly, but if it's a box office success. You know, I guess that means people don't care about the the trouble that Ezra Miller's in, and then people don't care that Warner Brothers is sticking to their guns and saying this just happens to be one of the characters we want to keep, and the actor that is playing that character we're going to keep. I I think the impetus is going to be on Ezra Miller to show that they are well. Yeah, right, and and that that's what it boils down to. I mean, if if all of his issues with the law, kidnapping, if all of that boils down to mental health issues, right? I mean, you have to be pretty callous to damn somebody on that basis. Sure. Sure. I mean, so essentially the ball is in their court. Right. They what do you, what have you made? What have you kind of made of, of James Gunn's announcements? I, I mean, I, I, I remember hearing them the first day or whatever, and then I've kind of even lost track of what he mentioned. Aside from there's going to be the Superman sort of reboot, but it seemed like they were touting more side projects, more TV side character type guys or girls or whatever, not necessarily like, here's Batman, here's Wonder Woman, here's 
Superman and this is their clear path to a film franchise or a Justice League. Yeah, here here's my dilemma. I read the announcement. I paid attention to it the first first day, read follow-ups the second day, and I probably haven't thought about it since we started this conversation. Until yeah. we started this this conversation. I mean, he's the head of the studio. He's going to do what he wants to do. Fans be damned. And 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 with all due respect, Zack Snyder did the same flipping thing. Yeah. So so people who are are, are complaining about that need to have a Coke and a smile and just shut up. Yeah. Because Zack Snyder basically marshaled the forces of Twitter and the internet to to get the Snyder Cut released. Yeah. After Warner Brothers said they weren't going to do it, got him to pour what? An extra $75 million into it? Yeah. And so, you know, he's, he's a boss. Make of it... I make I make of it the fact that he's a boss. He's going to do what he do, what he wants to do, and this is going to be me like every other quote unquote fan. Eh, we'll see. Yeah, and that's what it boils down to. We'll see. Uh, if he if it doesn't work, he'll be crucified. And you know, you and I both know the internet is relentless. It's <laughs> very much so. Well, everybody loved him until he said no to Henry Cavill as Superman. I mean, I don't think anybody cared whether or not Gal Gadot was back or Jason Momoa would stay as Aquaman or whatever. I don't think anybody really cared about that, but everybody was just in an uproar that Henry Cavill wasn't coming back as Superman. And, you know, look, he's got his vision, and this vision's going to be July 11th, 2025 is when Superman's coming out. So... He's got I, a vision, and we'll see what happens with it. I really think Superman Legacy is less about legacy and more updating Superman for a present day with modern sensibilities. Yeah. And I something I read the other day said it would be about Clark's son, and I'm like, mm. oh. Now, see, that might trouble me. Okay. That might. Um, I guess, again, we'll see. Okay, well, you know, as we said, we we sort of teased it a little bit. Next week we have Cocaine Bear. Uh, I know you're excited to talk about that. Can't wait to hear your thoughts on uh, a true story based on a true story. Got to talk to Mark Mothersbaugh for that today, so that's cool. Okay, awesome. He, 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 he scored the music for it. Really? Okay. And he got to have a lot of fun because it's, you, you know the story. It happened in the 80s. Yeah. Who better than the 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 leader of the 80s techno rock band Devo yeah. to, to score something like that. So he's an actor native. So. <laughs> All right. Fantastic. Well, as always, you can follow George at by George Thomas on Twitter. You can also read everything that he writes, whether it's sports or movies or entertainment at beaconjournal.com. As always, George, a pleasure talking to you. We will uh, talk about cocaine bear next week. Cocaine bear. Like snakes on a plane. It's yeah, <laughs> ugh, yeah, hopefully not, but I'm sure it probably is. All right, George. Well, we'll right. talk later and hopefully it will be better than snakes on a plane. That's a low bar, but okay. Well, yeah, it's I I don't set that bar very high for uh cocaine bear, but hey, you know, we'll see what happens. All right. Hi, I'm Jennifer Mooney. Welcome to what is our new Hope Interrupted podcast. 
based on the work from our book, Hope Interrupted, that I co-authored with my good friend, Byron McCauley. Hey, Jennifer, you know, I'm looking forward to this podcast as much as I was look, looking forward to writing this book with you. We hope to interview some uh, high impact folks as well as have a little fun. We're going to cover stories of hope. To learn more about our podcast and our book, please visit www.hopeinterrupted.com.